0: time wealth is the most important form of wealth. And then everything kind of just expands from that. But I think life wealth is also very important. Obviously we're physicians, just having a wealth of your physical energy, your livelihood, your focus. That to me is what wealth is, you know? And then there's of course financial wealth and social capital and all those other things. But time and health are the two most important definitions of wealth that I think is out there. This
1: is my time. Hi, I'm Kyle Stevenson, and you're listening to the Assets and Orthopedics podcast. In this forum, we hope to educate medical students, residents, physicians, and other high-income professionals on the power of investing, especially in real estate assets and syndications. We want to help providers gain financial intelligence with the hope of earning financial freedom. Please listen and learn so you can spend more time doing what you love with who you love. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Assets and Orthopedics podcast. I'm your host Kyle Stevenson. I'm very excited about today's episode because our guest today truly embodies the title of this podcast. Our esteemed guest is a sports medicine orthopedic surgeon from Houston, Texas. He's the founder and CEO at Movement Orthopedic Institute, a direct pay, free market orthopedic surgery practice. He is also CEO and founder of Time Health Capital. He has been a limited partner in real estate deals since 2016, totaling over 4,000 doors. He is also general partner on some of those deals. He is also an author, which we need to know more about. I'm honored to introduce Dr. George Ozude.
0: Yeah, thank you, Kyle. I appreciate the invitation to come on to your podcast. I've heard the first few episodes and really enjoy what you're doing. And I'm excited to contribute my story and, and share with your audience. So thank you again.
1: Yes, please. So let's start with orthopedic conversation and then we'll just kind of flow from there and, and roll into investing. Start with your orthopedic training or even your medical school training and and kind of give us the start of your career.
0: Absolutely. So I come from a medical family. My father's internal medicine. and My mother's a family nurse practitioner and um, started my journey to medicine pretty much in high school. That's when I first knew I wanted to be in sports medicine. I played a lot of sports growing up and Figured that was a great way to kind of combine what I knew from my family side and what I loved as a child. I didn't know exactly what that meant, but I knew I wanted to help take care of athletes. And so once I got to college, devoted a lot of time to just getting ready for med school with the MCAT when I started out in New York City and then did my medical school in Chicago, University of Illinois in Chicago. I also did my residency there. And so it was once I got into medical school that I realized there's a couple of different ways to do sports medicine. And I realized that I wanted to be on the very last line of defense as the the surgeon, operating surgeon. And that's how I ended up deciding on orthopedic surgery was actually in my first year of medical school. And so four years of medical school, five years of residency, and then a one-year sports medicine fellowship at Baylor University and University of Texas in Houston and realized quickly within the first three months of my fellowship that I wanted to stay in Houston due to many factors, but one, the big sports culture down. there. obviously football huge, but they're actually very big on baseball and basketball as well. Thought it would be a great place to start a sports medicine career. And so decided quickly to stay in Houston, ended up joining the faculty staff at University of Texas where I did my fellowship. Spent about seven to eight years there working with 10 different high schools, really good experience just in, you know, along the clinical side and love that. But I, I realized that, you know, at some point, this is not quite the medicine that I imagined I would practice talking about the corporate side. And so I started creating a plan to develop alternate streams of income for in the hopes of one day starting my own practice where I can craft it exactly how I imagined it when I first went into medical school and into residency and started investing in different asset classes, looked across stocks and venture startups and real estate finally settled on multifamily specifically, because it provided me the best combination and balance of investing in something that's cash flowing, and also something that's slow moving and not so volatile that I'd have to worry about it every second of the day. And that made the most sense for me in my busy academic slash corporate practice. So goal was to create enough passive streams through that to replace my starting salary and finally make an exit, start my own practice and continue to invest in real estate. And so that happened two years ago. I started my own practice January of 2022. It kind of timeline got pushed up a little bit. So I'm still not at the point where I've completely replaced my income, but it's definitely along that journey. But being that I started my own practice, being the fact that I started my own practice, I was able to allow more time for other things. I can control my own time, craft my own time, how I wanted to. And specifically with the model, which I'm sure we'll talk about this direct pay model, I'm able to not have to practice the volume-based style of medicine that I saw as an academic corporate practice medicine physician. So that's kind of been the journey up till now. I've been able to do a lot more on the real estate side. I've been able to co-general partner in three different deals. Before that, I've been in general uh, limited partner in over 20 deals up until that point and uh, have continued to be a limited partner, but really focusing now on being a co-general partner and bringing along other physicians and educating them and bringing them into this space. Because I imagine a lot of us are feeling the same of drives and motivations to have our autonomy and create the practice that we always desired
1: that was a lot that you, you packed in there so let's unpack that a little bit so you were at an academic center yep you were employed I would imagine and the reason I'm bringing this up we have a lot of young physicians that listen to this podcast so I just want them to put themselves in in your shoes you were employed for for some time seven years or so yep what was your mindset on on leaving that? You're saying that our medicine has become a little too corporate, or maybe insurance companies have too much power in our decision making. So, what was your mindset on you know those seven years, the transformation to start your own?
0: I think we get shielded from a lot of that as trainees, residents, medical students, the business and corporate side of things. And then once you get out in practice, you start kind of realizing the frictions. You know, you want a test that you know is indicated. You want a surgery that you know is indicated. Or you want to order a medication and there's all this other middleman and red tape that kind of prevent you from doing what you know is right. And so you really start to realize that once you're out in in actual practice and you see the impact it has not only on your patients, which is the most important, but actually has an impact on you as a provider. It has an impact on your staff because they're working tirelessly to try to mitigate some of these denials and they're trying to get on peer-to-peers and prior ops and they're So everyone's kind of getting stressed out. And I started to wonder, like, why does it have to be like, this is not what they taught us. And then I kind of started putting two and two together, you kind of see where the money's coming from. And therefore, you understand kind of why it is the way it is. So that was my realization over, say, the first two to three years of starting after training, you know, that transformation of, wait a minute, now I realize what is actually out here. What do I have to do to kind of mitigate all of that? And what steps do I need to take to try to regain autonomy? And so that's kind of what my experience had been. And it still was a good experience in many ways. I appreciate the fact that I had a well-structured practice to walk into right out of training, meaning there was all the marketing there. There was all the referral sources there. So I didn't have to figure that part out. So there was some positives. Don't get me wrong.
1: For the most part... You could treat patients. You didn't have to worry about their insurance company necessarily.
0: Right. I didn't have to worry about just getting volume just to make sure I meet overhead and pay myself. You know, I was getting a salary. And this is important as you get out of practice, uh, training because you have many of us have student loans to deal with. Right. So, you know, it was good to kind of learn about how I wanted to practice without anyone looking over my shoulder, without worrying about some of these other non-clinical things but I realized it wasn't enough. At some point, I, I realized that I had to understand every aspect of what I do, including the business, the finance, the economics. To me, that actually has great impact on the type of care and, and how I can provide the care that I want to. So it took those first four years to, to see it all connected. And, and you know, I was really excited. Once that happened, that light bulb went off to embark on this journey to create that that actual lifestyle, that actual practice.
1: That's great. Yeah. I tell residents, medicine to a degree is a business. The hospitals treat it like a business. The insurance companies treat it like a business. As physicians, we tend not to. Yep. But if we don't think of it that way, then we're going to get taken advantage of.
0: Right. I agree. It's it's a business. It's still an art and it's still a science. It's kind of all of the above, right? And it's important for us to to just do the work to understand every aspect of the art of it of the science of it, and of the business part of it. And that's going to lead to the best final product as a physician and as providers. It'll truly lead to that best final product that you put in front of a patient.
1: Yeah, that's great. So let's talk about your final product that you're currently working on and have been. So I love what you're doing. Movement Orthopedic Institute. Tell us more about that and how... You keep the insurance companies out of it or just more about that, please.
0: So, yeah, as I made the transition, I realized I couldn't do it the old way. I saw the trend of more private practices going into what I was trying to leave. So, you know, something is happening on the private practice side, the traditional private practice side that I knew I couldn't just adopt. I'd have to do it differently or else I'd feel those same stresses and frictions. And learning about all the ways that economy works, you realize it's because they're running the traditional corporate model through insurance companies, big pharma, government payers. That is actually the reason why they're not able to stay afloat with the huge overhead. So I knew I had to do it differently. I knew I had to do the cash pay route and started learning and getting exposed to that route by just being curious going on different podcasts and different webinars and learning about different ways of doing it. I learned about the Surgery Center of Oklahoma and their model, they've done cash pay model for over 25 years. And this gave me real hope and confidence that it can be done, it just has to be done right. And so that led me to decide when I go out and practice, it's gonna be all direct pay, no insurances. I'm gonna keep my overhead super low and that way I'm able to thrive and survive. That way, I'm not under the pressure of the insurance companies to see more, you know, play the volume driven game. That's been a, you know, obviously a learning experience. I I didn't have everything mapped out completely 100 percent before I jumped, but I knew I had to jump. I knew I had to get to a point where I can start failing forward and learning from those lessons. And that's still where I'm at. It's only less than two years and I'm still learning new things about how to make the practice thrive even better, how to make it grow, how to make it survive. Learning about the importance of networking and partnering with other stakeholders who are in this space, from the surgery centers to independent pharmacies, independent physical therapists, ways to truly lower costs and use the free market forces to provide excellent value at at affordable prices.
1: I love that. That's a team effort, your practice, but you're moving alongside of these other small businesses essentially to create this and to help patients. Right.
0: Absolutely. It's it's a team sport. A big hurdle is trying to make some of these vendors realize the value propositions in it for them because it's a very it's a big conditioning you know, that we've been exposed to, to kind of think that this is the traditional model is the only way. And so trying to, uh, you know, just have the conversations to make these, these vendors, these other stakeholders realize the value proposition is also a big part of what I've learned in the first two years.
1: Love what you're doing. Teamwork. I mean, we're both sports medicine and orthopedic surgeons. So team is really uh, a common theme, whether it's in our practice, whether it's teams that we cover and real estate assets. You know, we'll talk a, bit, a little bit more about that. But um, I think young professionals and, and young physicians need to know, even when they get into real estate, teamwork is everything. Don't try to do everything on your own, whether it's in medicine or, or investing. Right. So on that note, to finish the orthopedic conversation, I covered the Boston Celtics when I was in my sports medicine fellowship, in 2018. Kyrie Irving was there. Gordon Hayward fractured his ankle first first game of the year. But what teams have you covered in your career, maybe even currently covering, and and what share a story if you have one or two?
0: Yeah, it's been a very cool experience. That's probably one of the best parts of being a sports medicine doctor, is the team coverage aspect. And starting from residency, we covered the University of Illinois in Chicago, all of their D1 competitive uh, athletic teams. We even, towards the end of my residency, got to cover the Chicago Sky once the WNBA came to Chicago. And, And... or in fellowship, we got the chance to cover every professional team franchise in Houston. So the Rockets, the Texans, the Astros. I did spring training with the Astros in 2014, and that's the team of rookies that. Kind of went on to win all those those championships, the core groups, so I got to kind of work with them, covered University of Houston, which is a big division one school, and I even had my own high school for the first time, a Catholic high school in the in the city. And then I even had a chance to cover ten high schools once I started as faculty in the northeast corner, which was an amazing experience. It kind of felt like I had my own small little community of programs that coordinated care for. So absolutely, you know, growing up playing sports, that team aspect of orthopedics and medicine in general is one of the biggest attractions for me of doing what I do. It's it's getting everyone involved and working toward a common goal and everyone supporting and bringing their best day game and leveraging their best skills at the table.
1: Love it. Love it. Yeah. You covered some big teams, man.
0: Yep. It was fun. It was a lot of fun that year. Yep.
1: That's great. Any championships? Any big wins that you've seen? Yeah, uh, you know, at the
0: time that I was covering them, we didn't have any teams that were super competitive. But like I said, that Astros team, that was the core group. That was the rookie year for a lot of those those championship players. So I kind of got to be around championship pedigree. And just a few years later they were winning they were winning championships and
1: you basically optimized their health to get them to win World Series, right? So
0: to be honest, to that point,
1: honestly, when
0: I treat an injured athlete and they and you, you're successful and you get them back on the field, you honestly feel part of the team, right? You feel like you've contributed to the goals when you get them back before the year is over and now they're contributing to a playoff run or something like that. You truly feel part of the team. Yep.
1: Absolutely. That's great. All right. Sticking with the medicine theme a little bit and chatting with you before, I know that you've mentioned another aspect of your, your practice that you want to implement in the near future, maybe the next year or two let's touch on orthopedic lifestyle medicine, discuss optimizing our health, more importantly, our patient's health. And I know that you're in great shape physically. So not only are you doing big things in your orthopedic practice and investing career, you're obviously uh, prioritize your physical health. So tell us about that a little bit.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Many points about that. And that's one of the things that I had learned As I started my own practice, probably would have never really given it much thought had I stayed in the corporate academic route. But I'm seeing the opportunity to make a a service line, a second service line where we focus on orthopedic lifestyle and orthopedic health through lifestyle medicine. It's something that I realized I I had been doing already in when i was at academic practice you know i talked to patients a lot about how the impact of their sleep optimization and their diet and their fasting their routine stretching and core strengthening all these things can actually impact many things not just orthopedic wise but it could actually impact your orthopedic musculoskeletal health a lot of the conditions that we end up treating are chronic conditions that are essentially lifestyle conditions i always always say arthritis of the knee. And the hip is like diabetes of the knee. It's related to many instances related to just a poor lifestyle. And so I'm excited about researching and investigating and eventually rolling out a lifestyle, orthopedic lifestyle medicine service line in my practice. That'll very likely happen this coming 2024, where we develop and put together a team that brings in the right patient who will benefit from just the education and coaching process. And learning about how to take care and get ahead of some of these chronic conditions, prevent them or mitigate them, try to have great coping mechanisms if they develop them already. How can we mitigate? How can we slow down the progress progression of these, these chronic conditions, orthopedic conditions? And in my research, I've learned about different marketing techniques that we'll be using. So consultants that'll really help put the message out there, the narrative out there and attract the right people. And there's plenty of people out there. You just have to truly believe that there's an abundance of people that you can help. We know that already, but that want this type of help. And so I'm really excited to add this service line. I think it's a great compliment. It's not something that we can do through insurance because it's very time and bandwidth intensive to compel and get somebody to buy into this type of lifestyle. And so I'm really excited about how it will complement the direct pay, direct contract and cash pay side of my orthopedic surgery practice.
1: Yeah. So to that point, diet and exercise are, are still the mainstay treatments of a healthy lifestyle. And I think the big thing for us as medical professionals, we need to do a better job for our patients. Exactly what you're doing. And I think our profession struggles on the ideal diet for patients. I know that in the medical school curriculum, nutrition is a very small part of it. I know from my medical school, we got two weeks training of nutrition. So same, yeah, patients come to doctors to talk about nutrition. We're not really the experts.
0: It's very true. It, it seems like we're just not prepared for that conversation. Or even if we have that knowledge base, we just don't have the time in the corporate model. Because this is something you can't just relay in five minutes or in two minutes. It requires a, a lot more time investment and holding to some degree. To really get that message across, so I agree. We didn't. We have not been properly trained in this side of of clinical practice.
1: So I'm going to show you something on my phone. I have a. I really like this guy with 10x Healthcare, Gary Brecka. Do you know that name at all?
0: I don't know him, but I started looking him up. I remember you mentioned him, and I just started looking him up recently. And I, I think uh, he's a smart guy.
1: Smart guy. He's a he's a human biologist. He's not a physician, but uh, he started a new podcast recently called The Ultimate Human Podcast. His first guest was Dana White with UFC, but I like what he's doing. He's doing a lot more of this orthopedic lifestyle medicine in my mind. I thought you would appreciate this. It kind of ties the two together. So I'm just going to play this clip really quick.
0: And then I was either going to go into chiropractic or into orthopedic medicine. I really liked the idea of orthopedics because again, an orthopedic surgeon was somebody that fixed people. And, you know, an internist was somebody that just managed disease. You know, they took a obese, hypertensive diabetic patient, and they just kind of managed their case throughout their lifetime. But I felt like an orthopedic was somebody that, you know, you came in and you had a broken leg and they, you know, fixed your broken leg and, and you were back to normal. I like the idea of fixing things and, and kind of returning function back to people.
1: Yeah. So I thought that was important because it ties lifestyle medicine into orthopedics. You know, we as surgeons want patients to be the best versions of themselves. We want them to maximize their quality of life so what's your mindset? And you've already alluded to this a little bit on really, how are you going to implement that lifestyle medicine into your orthopedic practice? Are you going to hire physicians and, and how are you going about that?
0: I totally agree with what we just heard. I think that's a big thing that draws a lot of orthodox where we're very instant, right? It's like an instant care. There's an acute problem and we instantly can have an impact. I think the orthopedic lifestyle medicine now kind of ties into this whole more global approach where we can start to get ahead of some of these problems, try to prevent them. And I think, like we mentioned before, it is a team effort. And from the research I've done, it seems like the best lifestyle medicine type of practices or outfits have multimodal approach where you have like a health coach expert, right? You have a nutritionist expert, you have someone you can refer to for sleep optimization. Folks who like who we just heard from, Gary Brecca, who thinks a little bit outside of the box and they're not just bound by kind of the corporate insurance model. They're looking a little beyond just the Western medicine. And so putting together that type of team and then packaging it, offering it to patients in a way that they can digest and co labor and work with that team, I think is the best way of rolling something like this out. I've seen the success that's been had with our internal medicine colleagues and some. Non-surgical colleagues and rolling out these type of programs, and I think it's it definitely ties to orthopedics as well. We We can benefit just as much.
1: Yeah. So ultimately, in medicine, we should get to the point of figuring out the root causes of illness, not just treating the symptoms, right? Right. And so, what resources or advice do you have to young physicians, young residents, maybe that are in primary care or internal medicine, family medicine? What resources do you have, or or could you advise on? that orthopedic lifestyle medicine?
0: Yeah, I think just searching for this, in my opinion, you're not gonna find as many orthodox specifically. We're gonna have to kind of lean more on internal medicine doctors, GI doctors. These are doctors who are, who are also dealing with chronic problems in their patient populations and kind of starting to get the ideas from them. But I think this is changing. I think the orthodox are starting to realize we need to be in the space too. I know you've felt passionate about this as well. And as that grows, there's going to be more and more content to access out there on what that looks like for an orthopedic practice. And so I think starting with lifestyle medicine leaders, uh, there's subject matter experts within just lifestyle medicine in general is a good place to start. Sometimes it's been called integrative medicine. I've even heard the term functional medicine, but I think there's some specific key differences. But I think if you start with lifestyle medicine, a search and, and seeing the content that's out there, there's plenty of content on podcasts and YouTube channels for folks outside of orthopedics doing it
1: all right well, let's move on and talk about the most important aspect of what we're trying to accomplish in this podcast investing in assets that can ultimately create financial freedom so I'm just coming off of the multifamily investing event with Rod Cleef a couple of weeks ago. I earned some uh CFE instead of CME continuing financial education, tons of networking going on there. They educated us on on the market, what some big opportunities that will likely be coming in the next year or two. So I'm very excited to talk about this stuff. Get your thoughts. So when did you start investing in in general?
0: Yeah. So my first investment came in 2016. It wasn't really that intentional. It just felt like something that all surgeons do. And that was an investment into a surgery center that I also brought cases to, right? And so I didn't really think about it in the entrepreneurial context. I just thought about it to make common sense, you know, and everyone else, all my other colleagues were doing it. So that was my first investment. Then I kind of started going through that transformation about what are the other ways I can develop passive streams of income. I can't just trade time for money, so I started looking into um, real estate. Almost went down the single family route, but really realized multifamily was the way to go for scale. And in 2018, made my first multifamily syndication investment as an LP. And that was a about a 220 unit deal out in Dallas in Carrollton, Dallas, Texas, and. That just triggered the first of many investments after that. You know, I saw the returns that were starting to come in from in and I was like, hey, I can do this over and over again. Right. And so since then, I've invested into over 25 deals as an LP and three deals as a co-GP with a team of of operators.
1: Yeah. A little inside from the uh, the meeting, the event a couple of weeks ago, Houston and Dallas were like the top two cities for multifamily and, and people moving in. That's not stopping stopping anytime soon?
0: Nope. The dynamics are great. The population growth and the economic growth from big corporations and jobs moving in. It's a strong, strong uh, headwinds or tailwinds, I should say.
1: You're in a good spot. So you talked about why you like multifamily. Are you investing in any other asset classes such as self-storage, mobile home parks, hospitality, et cetera? Tell us about that.
0: So I am diversified. And to me, what makes sense is what people will always need no matter what, if we're in good times, bad times, I want to invest in things people will always need. So for sure, obviously residential, but I'm also in agriculture. So I have a farmland syndication investment in a medical office building. I think medical is something that people will always need in some form or another. And I'm in energy as well. I think we are always going to require sources of energy, particular carbon sources of energy. And so I'm in a mineral rights investment and will very likely be investing into working interest, oil and gas investments in the future. So I like those asset classes. Within the real estate and residential, I am opening my eyes to things like you mentioned, self-storage, looking at businesses that are tied to real estate. We're looking at different types of residential, senior living, I think is a very, very trending type of asset class with the baby boomers retirement. We call it the silver tsunami. So all of these I'm, I'm interested in. And I think that's one of the great benefits of being an LP is you can kind of diversify your portfolio, leverage some really great operators after you vet them, of course, and have really good opportunities to make some good passive income and build wealth.
1: Because I was going to mention, you live in Texas, great tax benefits to oil and gas. So absolutely, it only makes sense you're, you're investing in that.
0: Yep. And that's one of the things that I've noticed positions are very interested in since we're in a one of the worst tax positions out of... Anyone around, it's, it's we're, we're very highly taxed. You know, we're at the highest tax bracket. And so, ways to mitigate earned income taxes is very popular. And so, these working interest oil and gas investments are super high on the priority list for physicians and other high income earners.
1: I would say we really can't stress that enough that the tax benefit to investing is so important. So, real estate investing, oil and gas. You got to look up the tax benefits to that because, as physicians, we pay some of the most tax rates out there. And you know, big business owners, big investors, they don't really pay much in taxes. So we need to do a better job as physicians to to figure out ways to mitigate that.
0: Yeah, it's the single highest expense in our life and anyone's life is their tax burden, right? Um, and so learning about that is key. And the tax code is a huge book with. Over ninety percent of ways of not paying taxes, you know there's only a small percentage of that book that goes to how to how to pay your taxes. Most of it is how not to pay your taxes in a legal ethical way, so
1: yep, yep,
0: yeah, worthwhile. I recommend Tom Wheelwright's book called Tax Free Wealth It's probably one of the most most impactful books I've ever read.
1: I agree, I love that book. Yeah, Tom Wheelwright, he's a good follow. He's Robert Kiyosaki's personal CPA, so yeah, he's fantastic. And you know, really, again, that Rodcliffe event I just went to two weeks ago—it's so eye-opening how many of these people are paying minimal taxes. Correct. Not just the big names. That's very true. So, what is your best advice to young physicians and other high-income professionals regarding investing right now?
0: Yeah, I would say the best things to do are to really lean into the idea of being curious because there's so much out there and we really don't even get the opportunity to come up for air when we're training, but there's something I could do differently. I would somehow try to develop a habit of just learning things outside of my, my medicine and my orthopedics, even at that younger age. So really just adopting this curiosity mindset and find your best learning style. For me, it's actually hearing and seeing content and that way I can just stay engaged. I can listen for hours. I can learn for hours. I can come back to it versus some people are more verbal. You know, they need to see it written down on, on paper. Some people need to physically do it to kind of understand it. Whatever that learning style is, identify that as soon as possible and lean into it and just start to develop that knowledge base. And then the second thing is just start networking, start meeting people and saving their contact information. You know, I think that's a great way to start because you can know all the information in the world. But if you don't have that team, if you don't have people you can trust, it's very hard to move and scale.
1: Yep, I love that. So we're, we're wrapping up here. The last four questions that I'll ask anybody that I interview on this podcast, we'll go through these four. Just kind of a, a quick answer thing. So number one, what book are you reading right now?
0: So I am reading E-Myth, which is an amazing book that talks about how to be an entrepreneur working on your business as opposed to in your business. Again, one of the things I've learned about these last two years is that I can't just be a cog in the wheel. I can't just be a technician. I actually need to be a visionary and create the systems that are in place to actually have a business thrive. Otherwise, you're just still running on a, on a rat race hamster wheel. So e amazing book, I recommend.
1: That's great. Okay. What advice do you give to your 25-year-old self?
0: I think I mentioned it before. Really start networking and growing that, and keeping that invest or or um, list that just a list of contacts and being very engaging and putting myself out there to to meet people and learn new ways of thinking and doing things. I had that mindset earlier, I probably would have started investing even a little something in residency or as soon as I had gotten out of training. You know, I would have been more open to different asset classes, which at that time, was an amazing run-up. You know, I can only imagine what would have happened if I started my investment journey in 2014 versus 2018, right? Right. So just to have that in your back pocket, just networks and and, and knowledge sources.
1: Yeah, you, you just said it a few minutes ago. Be curious. That's really the best thing you could say. I mean, I I tell my kids that they're almost three and fifteen months. Be curious. Kids are really good at that. But as we get older, for some reason, we kind of lose it. And to your point, we got to keep that going as a young resident. You know, there's no dumb questions. Just find these mentors, jump on and and start uh, trying to figure out what they're doing.
0: I'm actually curious question for you. I know this is your podcast, but you work very closely with residents. And I'm curious if that's that mindset has changed at all, because when we were probably residents, we were very siloed, right? You kind of just worried about medicine and orthopedics. But I almost get the sense that young trainees now are. Kind of branching out, even at the the residency stage, you know, they're asking more questions. And-
1: Agreed. I think they are the ones that I work with for sure. I think medical students are still in that bright-eyed, like not certain, you know, what to do. I, I just need to learn all the medicine I can. But as residents, they're definitely getting more more curious. They're picking my brain. I get texts all the time now, so I would say residents are becoming a little bit more aware. And I think a lot of it is, you know, the resources. Yeah, there's books, but there's more podcasts. There's more information for them to start thinking outside a little bit. So what is your definition of wealth?
0: So I uh, recently started learning about Chris Martinson's definitions of wealth. There's nine forms and I love how he defines them because it makes so much sense. But to me, my definitions of wealth relate to that. And I won't go through all of them, but I'll go through some of the ones that are most important to me. I think time, time wealth is the most important form of wealth. And then everything kind of just expands from that. But I think life wealth is also very important. Obviously, we're physicians, just having a wealth of your physical energy, your livelihood, your focus, that to me is what wealth is, you know. And then there's, of course, financial wealth and social capital and all those other things. But time and health are the two most important definitions of wealth that I think is out there.
1: Hence the name of your business
0: time health capital. So I started a business to try to help other physicians and high net worth earners, high income earners also realize these same things. So, yep.
1: I love it. All right. Last question. What does retirement look like for you, Dr. George Azude? This is a good question
0: because probably 10, 15 years ago, I'd have another different answer. Probably was more typical, like done with my nine to five and to sit in somewhere and enjoying all the things, but now it's different. Now it's just almost what I'm doing now. I I honestly feel like I retired when I left corporate practice. I'm working on things that are important to me on my own time with purpose. And that's what I think it will look like for the rest of my life until I can't physically or mentally do it anymore. I'm just going to work on projects that I feel impact and serve people and not have to worry about a nine to five anymore. So that's what retirement looks to me.
1: It's a great answer. Well, thank you for joining us today. I just want to say that I appreciate you as an inspiration for me. You're very encouraging to me and others in the community. You have more of an abundance mentality, which I love. And uh, it seems like you know that we could all succeed in this business together. Rod Cleef alludes to the quote, a rising tide lifts all boats. And I think that you're a good example of that. So I cannot thank you enough for being on here and, uh, and just for everything. Where can people find you?
0: So yeah, I'm most active on LinkedIn. So folks can reach me there just by my name, George Ozude. My website is www.timehealthcapital.com. You can reach me there. We have lots of content. We have webinars that you can engage with and feel free to reach out to me at george at timehealthcapital.com. I'm happy to to engage. Fantastic. Anything
1: else you want to end on? I want to thank you, Kyle.
0: It's really encouraging to see other orthopods in particular in this space, you know, like-minded orthopedic docs. I think a lot of times we are in a place at on the corporate side of medicine, where we probably don't have to move too much in a different way, but getting a few outside of the box thinkers like yourself, that really encourages and inspires me to keep going. And hopefully there'll be more, more of us along the way soon.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. We'll be in in touch soon, but we'll, uh, we'll get this out there for sure. Thank you. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening. If you found value in today's podcast, Please leave a review so our community can continue to grow. If you would like to stay connected or receive a copy of your free investing ebook, please go to www.sharpinvestmentsllc.com. and that's sharp with a P as in Professional. This is not financial or tax advice. Please consult with your financial advisor or CPA. This is my time.